Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hey guys, have you checked out the great podcast Crime Lines? If you like this show, I think Crime Lines will be right up your alley. If you don't like this show, what are you listening for? Crime Lines walks you through the true crime events, pairing captivating tales with clear storytelling. Now host Charlie Warall gives the most in-depth analysis by bringing in appropriate historic and cultural context to look beyond simply what happened and consider why. It's chock full of research and it's well thought out. It is the opposite of what we give you. Check it out. And if you like the show, make sure to check out their premium channel on Himalaya, complete with exclusive episodes, early access, and a members-only community group. Simply download the Himalaya app, search Crime Lines, and enter promo code CHARLIE for your first month absolutely free. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So we just got back from San Francisco, which was so much fun. It really was. It was amazing. It was a great time at Cobb's Comedy Club. We met some fantastic people. The freaks came out in force, and I love what the uh, the manager at Cobb said. He said, you guys draw such a fun crowd. Yeah, and I have to say, that's not the first time that's been said. When we were at... Uh, Nashville the last time at Zany's they said the same thing that we that the people that came for our show were so cool and polite and kind and that's just it's really amazing and probably my favorite thing that's been said about our show oh absolutely the idea that uh, the freak community is is building some cred people mm. people love you guys it's so great it really is thank you so much and thank you to San Francisco for being amazing Unfortunately, Cat caught my cold while we were on the road. Oh, yeah. That's what that is. <laughs> it was inevitable, really. I mean... I think I gave it to you, no, so I apologize. I, how is that possible? I just was able to ward it off for longer. I see. But I, I still get... carried it, and I gave it to you, and your delicate little baby body well, just so, succumbed. It was it, it was inevitable we would both get it, because sometimes we kiss. What? Gross. <laughs> <laughs> While we were there, we stopped at uh, the corporate headquarters for Himalaya, the app that, uh, that we partner with. Such great people. To give you an idea of how good they are to us, 
A bunch of the Himalaya team came to the show, including the COO, one of the big corporate people, made time to go to the show herself. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. That I was, was great. not expecting that. Me and then, then all of a sudden it was like, oh. Anyway, it went really well. We look forward to Boston this coming weekend. Tickets are still on sale for Boston, Charlotte, and Nashville. Also, of course, the shows for next year. We'll tell you more a little bit later on. Well, since you're the one that's not feeling well, this episode you choose. Do you want to go first or would you prefer if I did? I think it would be better if I went first. Yeah. Yeah, that way I can get all the talking that I have to do out of the way. Let's do it. Okay. What you got for me? Okay. So... So we're in San Francisco, and um, there's so much there, and I was a little overwhelmed. There were lots of different districts, lots of surprises. Oh, I wasn't expecting this over here. We got our Christmas ornament for this year. Um, That's kind of a tradition. Whenever we travel somewhere, we get a, uh, a tree ornament representing that that area. Also a refrigerator magnet. Right. I mean, the tree ornament isn't every time we travel, but it's, you know, at least one a year. It's frequent. And uh, this time we got a little trolley, um, a San Francisco trolley with the most demented looking Santa on it you can possibly imagine. Yeah. It's cable car demon Santa. Yeah. So pretty excited about that. And I got to thinking about how Cities can offer so much. And um, so I wanted to take a look at some of the stranger cities in the world. Ooh. It, well, cities and towns. Let's start with Thames Town. It is named after the River Thames in London. And the architecture is uh, themed according to classic British market town styles. There are apartments and shops and cafes, uh, cobbled streets. As you would imagine, uh, the Victorian terraces and corner shops and the red telephone boxes that, of course, you would expect to find. Iconic. Of course. Mm -hmm. Um, There are statues in the city of famous Brits from Winston Churchill to Princess Diana. There's even a James Bond statue. There are little places where you can buy fish and chips and uh tea shops. It's it's really amazing. And what makes this town a little bit different is that it's situated about 20 miles outside Shanghai. How is that geographically possible? <laughs> so um, it was part of an initiative uh, that started in 2001 by the Shanghai Planning Commission in an effort to help with the severe overpopulation um, and uh, incredible property prices in Shanghai. So one of the objectives as well uh, for Thames Town was to provide accommodations for the staff of the universities in the uh, adjacent university town. So Thames Town was part of the One City, Nine Towns initiative, uh, which was passed by the Shanghai Planning Commission in 2001. Um, There's also a Canadian town, an Italian town, German town, Dutch town. And a Swedish town. Wow! So this is like uh, this is like the World Showcase Pavilion from Epcot. From Epcot, yeah. Except it, they're actual towns that you can live in. Wow! You can buy a traditional Dutch cottage and live in Dutch town. That's crazy. It is crazy and amazing, and I have to go. When did they start building these? 2001. Okay. There's also a knockoff Paris, uh, complete with a replica of the Eiffel Tower. Is it built to scale? I don't think so. Now, uh, most of the houses in Thames Town sold pretty rapidly, uh, but they were purchased mainly by 
more upper end, like wealthy people um, who are making investments or were buying second homes. And because of that, house prices kind of rose, which was counteracting the purpose of these towns. I see. And because so few of the people who were buying the properties were actually living in those properties, people weren't there to work in the little corner shops. I see. So it it turned into more of a retirement or expat community. Yeah, except not so much a community as just houses. Uh Like not... There was no economic engine to drive the economy forward. That's right. According to Business Insider, they described it as a virtual ghost town. Uh, Supposedly the tactic of creating this little British village in the middle of uh, nowhere uh, wasn't enough to make up for the fact that you had to be half hour outside the city. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, there, it just wasn't convenient uh, to be that remote without some sort of, like you said, an engine. Street signs there are written in both English and Chinese. Uh, police have a red, almost uh, English guard-looking uniform. But there's not a lot to guard because there aren't a lot of people who actually live there. Hmm. Uh, nevertheless, there is a similar English-style town being planned near Beijing. So they're hoping that um, maybe in a different area, this might work a little bit better. One of the things that this town is doing very well in and is very popular for is uh, weddings. People want to get married and have these amazing backdrops in their photos. And one blogger, uh, the blog was Ariel Abroad blog. She said that it, in her strolling about the city, she saw like nine couples. You know, get, just getting married. Getting married. Wow. Um, and, you know, posing in front of the, the huge church replicas. And, the, you know, so that is kind of amazing. And even if you can't go there to stay in a town like you would vacation in a town with a lot of things going on, Mm -hmm. it might be interesting just to go and look at all the brides and grooms who are showing (laughs) up. It's just so strange. So as I said, I did snag from Ariel Abroad blog, City Metric, and Wikipedia for that. One of the things that that I really loved about our visit to San Francisco was all the Chinese culture mm. there. And uh, that little old man that was sitting in the park down on, on the, uh, on the wharf. Yeah. Playing one of those traditional stringed instruments, Chinese instruments. I don't even know what you know call what it's it, called. but it was beautiful. And he was so sweet. And uh, it just, it, it was an amazing thing to see. I wish that I knew what it was called because I would not feel like such a dingus right now. Right. Um, because I really did. I loved him. And uh, I just, I it was so moving. That music is anyway. Mm. And I think I was starting to get sick. And so I was <laughs> feeling a little emotional about it. And I just couldn't help but think of like how he has so much culture that he brought with him. And he kind of obviously lives it. And uh, I don't know. I just, you know, I live in Maine, and you don't get a lot of Chinese stringed instruments no, playing men no. on the sides of the road. You don't see that often, no. No. Not often enough. And it's something that I I love very much is, is learning about other people and other stuff, and it kind of seems unfair that I was plopped in the middle of this Arctic wasteland. <laughs> it's a beautiful state. 
Maine is lovely. Of course it is. I love it. That's why I still live here. All but right. That's why I have to go Sorry, other places. I distracted you. You back, really did. Back to your story. I have a video of him. I should share that. Okay. Uh, let's talk about Chess City. Alista is the capital city of the Republic of Kalmykia, Russia. Pretty sure I butchered that. So the neighborhood-sized development, which is on the outskirts of the city, consists of a central four-story domed chess hall surrounded by an Olympic-style village of Californian Mediterranean revival-style architecture. There's an enormous chessboard painted on the ground in the town square with, like, people-sized chess pieces that you can move about. The site has a conference center, public swimming pool, and complexes featuring sculptures and artwork devoted to chess, including a statue of Ostap Bender, who is a fictional character of popular books written about the creation of a world chess capital. So that's what this city is. Ostop Bender. What a wonderful name. It's true. It is glorious. Future plans for Chess City include a water sport complex, skiing center, government buildings, business centers, opera and ballet theaters, and museums. But really, the the focus here is chess. And it was created by the president of this region, who is a chess enthusiast and (laughs) (laughs) wanted to bring chess to his his city, but like on a grand scheme. Yeah, it certainly seems like like a grand scheme. Again, this sounds less like a town and more like a Disney resort. It's true, yeah. And um, it should also be noted that this town has um, seen a lot of controversy because so much money has been dumped into it, and it really is quite something, um, Mm -hmm. quite elaborate and shiny and uh, other words that mean big things. Um, But the area itself is really a poor region without much in terms of natural resources. Uh, The the people in that area live in poverty. And then there's this chess city, which is moved in and the focus of like these big chess tournaments and stuff. And everyone just comes in with the big fat money and then they just leave. And everyone around there is still poor. And it just kind of sucks. Are there full-time residents there or is it just a destination for chess tournaments it's i mean people live there mm-hmm. but it was uh crafted with this idea that it would just be for right so probably the people that live there are just there to plan the next chess event it's kind of like when um a city is chosen to be an olympic city and regardless mm-hmm. of the socio-economic state of that city all this money gets pumped into these olympic things, you know, buildings and accommodations and such. And then after the Olympics leave, it's just kind of like, no, that's true. No, I'm getting over it. I I remember living in Tampa, uh, one of the years that the Super Bowl was played in Tampa. Mm -hmm. And there was this big citywide beautification program because the eyes of the world were going to be on Tampa. Of course. And so they spent, I don't know how many millions of dollars planting these beautiful Full, full size, full grown palm trees along the interstate all the way in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds mm. of palm trees. And after the Super Bowl, nobody took care of them and they all died. And something I've learned recently is that you have to take care of palm trees. Yeah, you do. Otherwise, they don't look like palm trees. No. Because in your head, and, and of course, there are lots of different types of palm trees, but in my head, palm trees just look 
that way, <laughs> like the palm tree that I had on my T-shirt in the early 90s. And it was all like, Miami, blah! And then there was this bright pink and green sure. fluorescent palm tree on yep. it because, of course, I had that shirt. And I thought that's just the way that palm trees looked. Nope, you got to trim them. Yeah. You do. Yeah, you got to treat that shit trimmed up. <laughs> anyway, I, I distracted you again. I'm sorry. Go I ahead. I like palm trees. I know you do. <clears throat> I think this is going to be our last one. Okay. Um, Gibson Town, a.k.a. Showtown, is a town in Florida. It's a spot where carnival and circus folks spend the winter and where many have chosen to retire. Yes, that's, uh, I think, near Sarasota, right, where the um, Barnum and Bailey's winter location was. Oh, yeah, I'm not great with geography, mm. so I don't know what okay. you're saying. all right then. Cool. Mm. Um, according to The Guardian, the first settlers, uh, the giant and his wife, the half-woman, ran a campsite and a bake shop and a fire department, and um, they had a little post office, uh, which catered to just little people um, with little half-size counters, mm -hmm. and a beer hall had custom-built chairs for the fat lady and the tallest man, and there were special zoning regulations, which have actually allowed residents to keep and train exotic animals in their yards. So the, the tallest man, he was on, on the fire department? I, I don't know. Because that would have been handy, especially you know, if a blaze broke out in the second story. Sure. Keep equipment costs down. That's right. You wouldn't you have know. to worry about one of those sticks. Ladders. ladders. <laughs> They're called ladders. <laughs> You're not feeling well. I'm no, so it I'm is. so sorry. I'm going to shut up. It is called up. a ladder. Yeah, You're I'm going right. to let, let you talk here so you can get it done. Go the, ahead. Uh, <laughs> Um, Siamese twin sisters ran a fruit stand, which I think is amazing. This is a magical place. I know. Um, there's actually a statue of a giant boot that pays tribute to a past resident, Al Tamani, who's a circus giant with size 27 shoes. Ooh. Isn't Gibson Town where uh, Lobster Boy Grady, what's his name, lived? I believe so, yes. That, that yep. dick? Yeah, he was Horrible, a dick. horrible man? Yeah. Who killed people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that yeah, that's exactly correct. It's a colorful community. It really, really was. But it is starting to kind of peter. Um, that even though obviously they still have uh, some residents, the freak show circuit as a whole really is kind of dying. Mm. Um, so there's not that much demand for um, a retirement community for circus folk, and a lot of things go into that. There are. I think seven states that actually prohibit people with um, naturally occurring deformities uh, from being showcased for money. Right. It's, you know, an effort to keep them from being that E-word. Exploited. There we go. But but even if they choose mm -hmm. to do it themselves. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because, of course, they can't make their own choices. They have to be protected. <laughs> yeah. It's disgusting. Mm. Um, but that's another... I mean, I, I get the, the goal behind it, but... You know, they're adult humans who should be able to decide what to do with their own body. You would also, think. legalize sex work. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you took a hard right on that one. <laughs> I'm just showing you some parallels. Also, because of the um, 
various anti-discrimination acts throughout the years, more people who wouldn't have had other opportunities do have other opportunities That is now. true. That is true. So uh, the population is dwindling. There are still some uh, really amazing people who live there, though. And as I said, there's still the giant boot uh, midtown paying homage to what once was a very thriving community of amazing freaks. Do they encourage tourism there? I mean, I would think that uh, because of the history mm. of that town, they could probably make a bit of money. Well, I I think so. And, uh, and here's why. Um, they talk about in some of the articles that I read, and I saw pictures of some of the, the people who live there performing like in their driveways. And so Ooh. you can drive by the home of the world's oldest sword sw- swallower and see him swallowing swords out in his driveway. Really? Yeah. Just out there next to the basketball hoop. He's practicing. It yeah. makes perfect. Yep. Yeah. Stuffing cutlery down his throat. Yeah. That's my kind of neighborhood. That would be so cool. I know. And then we show up and we're just like, we don't. We don't do anything. No. 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 I have it, zero talent. I it, make a nice roasted broccoli but that's pretty much yeah. where it is there, there are very few communities for experts in roasting broccoli maybe you could start one maybe. that sounds like a fun community to live in though i agree very colorful uh, again going back to uh, a time when i lived in tampa i lived in an area of the city where there were a lot of professional wrestlers oh yeah and you know hacksaw jib duggan once told me i was quote kind of hot did he? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. This was this was this would have been probably early 90s, and we lived right next door to somebody involved pretty heavily in the WWF at the time, and one Halloween night, well, well actually, it was Halloween day, they had a, a party over there, and there were all these professional wrestlers. <laughs> there were, the Nasty Boys. Do you remember them? Yeah. They were there. Uh, a whole bunch of other people that uh, you would probably remember from from those days. One, I came out and and there were wrestlers in my yard. I came out and tugboat was standing in my driveway. <laughs> sir, <laughs> sir, I'm going to have to ask you to get off the grass. <laughs> it was an amazing time to be alive. That's all I have to say. <laughs> anyway, fascinating stuff. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, anyway, those are some neat towns that I want to go to. And now... That thing in the middle. Like we said at the beginning of the show, uh, we just got back from San Francisco, the first show in our first live show in our Halloween tour, and we had such a great time there. We actually stayed an extra day and took the red eye home. And so if we sound a little discombobulated, well, that's one of the reasons why lack of sleep. Uh, But we learned some great things while we were in San Francisco and some unusual things, and we wanted to share them with you now. Before San Francisco. Oh, this is number one. Or five? Five. Or do we start from five? Yeah, we do. It doesn't matter. We've done it that way since, well, I'm the just saying, crust of the earth was warm. Way. All right. Okay, so number B. Before it was named to uh, San Francisco, this small city by the bay was called Yerba Buena, which means good herb in Spanish. <laughs> Ooh, good herb. Okay. Yerba Buena. I like it. Number four. And this is a topic that I covered in my live show presentation um, at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco. Did you know you were not allowed to bury your dead within the city limits? I knew that. I did not know that. 
And I'm, and I'm guessing you can't bury your living either, but that it doesn't say specifically. If they have a bell, I don't see what the problem is. Number three, there are no man-eating sharks in the bay. Now, many people believe that there are dangerous sharks uh, in between the the land and the Alcatraz building, but um, there's just some little guys who are very small and very not dangerous. Mostly just seals. And I think that the whole shark story was started by law enforcement to help keep prisoners from trying to swim it. That makes perfect sense. Because we were standing there on the wharf looking at Alcatraz thinking, we could swim that. It's not that far. <laughs> course i don't like to stand in front of the open refrigerator door for too long so probably the cold would have done me in number two the color of the golden gate bridge is called international orange it's not golden or gatey it's international orange and it wasn't going to be the original option the original color design for the bridge was going to be black and yellow they thought it would it would show up in the fog better but the steel showed up with orange primer paint on it, and the uh, the guy designing the bridge liked it so much he made it the official color. Oh, I like that. I think the color's nice. I saw that bridge, you know. I saw it with my eyeballs. You tried to swim to it. It didn't. And number one, there are only around 830,000 people that live within city and county of San Francisco, but... At any given time, there are more than 3,500 restaurants open in the city. We ate at most of them the two days we were there. For real. Um, our goal is to eat at every one, so we need to make another trip back. Shout out to Sweet Greens. I loved that salad. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the Aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app 
made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Life may be like a box of chocolates, but this is the box of oddities. You know how we were mentioning earlier how the freak community that comes out to our live shows is getting a reputation of being such such, such a great crowd. Yeah. The clubs love you guys, by the way. Um, but in addition to the clubs loving you, we love you, and you you know for so many reasons. One of which is you bring us gifts. Oh, we got some really cool gifts, you guys. Somebody brought us a raccoon penis bone. It's glorious. It was in a little gift box, like a fine piece of jewelry. It's what I thought it was when I first opened it up. And then I was like, oh, no, that's some sort of bone. (laughs) It was not jewelry. It was a raccoon penis bone. (laughs) Thank you so much for the raccoon penis bone. We're adding it to our collection of oddities here in our... um, I don't know what this is. It's it's kind of, it's an underground studio. I guess we could call it like a like a dungeon. I don't like that. Okay. Um, right. we've had some wonderful things sent to us uh, through the mail. People bring things at the uh, to, or to the shows, and we're starting a collection of all these little odd things that people have have brought us, and we appreciate so much your thoughtfulness and generosity. Nook. Nook. That's a good word. Uh, I like nook. Yeah. So the afternoon before our show, I was chilling out in our hotel and I was flipping around on the TV channel and Braveheart was on Uh and it was toward the end of, of the movie and I'm watching and I'm thinking, you know, such a great story. How much of the movie is actually real? Oh yeah. How much of it took place? How much was it an embellishment? How much did they leave out? This is interesting. Thanks, by the way, for doing research about my family. I yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, there is some, there's been some family scuttlebutt, because your last name is Walls, that you come from the Wall, Wallace line. Yeah, I mean, it's not just scuttlebutt. There's been some research done. That's amazing. No big deal. Well, come <laughs> to find out, most of, a lot of the, uh, of the movie was, was pretty accurate, but the big, big discrepancy was at the very end, spoiler alert, when he gets killed mm-hmm. at the end. Uh, they left a lot of shit out. The way he was executed was 
far worse than oh, what, the, really? what the movie portrayed. They had to tone it down for the movie. Oh my gosh. Anyway, let's, let's talk a little bit about who William Wallace was. Sir William Wallace, he was born in 1270 and he died the 23rd of August in 1305. He was a Scottish knight, according to Wikipedia, who became one of the main leaders during the first war of Scottish independence. Uh, Wallace defeated an English army at the Battle of Stirling Bridge in September 1297. He was appointed Guardian of Scotland and served under that banner until his defeat at the Battle of Falkirk. And that was in July of 1298. Now, in August of 1305, he was captured near Glasgow and was handed over to King Edward I of England. And King Edward was pissed about all this, you know, because this was treasonous stuff that mm. he was doing. So he was executed for high crimes against the English civilians. When Wallace was just a kid, King Alexander III ruled Scotland. His reign uh, was seen pretty much as a prosperous one. It was a period of peace and economic stability. On March 19th in 1286, however, Alexander died he fell off his horse. Oh. He was just clippity-clopping along, and he slipped off, and and he died. That's not a great way to go. No. It's not heroic in any way. And when you're a king, you want to die heroically, especially in those days. Well, what if he was terrified of horses? Ooh, yeah. Then that would have been a very heroic act. That's true. That's an excellent point. Thank you. I believe in him. So the heir to the throne was Alexander's granddaughter, Margaret, maid of Norway. Um, she was just a kid. She was just a little tiny baby person, and she was in Norway. So the Scottish lords set up a government of guardians. Nothing suspicious here. Oh, Margaret fell ill on her voyage to Scotland and died. Hmm. That doesn't sound suspicious. That was in 1290. Now, there was no clear heir to the throne. And so several families all laid claim to the throne. Of course. And because of that... A civil war started brewing. So in 1298, King Edward ordered an invasion. About 25,000, actually more than 25,000 soldiers, 1,500 horses were all under his command. And uh, they plundered Lothian and regained some of the castles, but they failed to bring William Wallace to combat. The Scots, what they were doing, just kind of shadowing the English army. Okay. They were following them about. Smart. Uh, yeah. They were trying to avoid battle until shortages of supplies for the English army became more and more crippling to them, and they would retreat looking for food okay. and, and other supplies that they would need, and then they would attack. That was the plan. And because the English quartermaster failed to prepare, it had left morale and food supplies low. There was a resulting riot, and it had to be put down July of that year. While planning a return to Edinburgh for more supplies, Edward received intelligence that the Scots were encamped nearby at Falkirk, and he moved quickly to engage them in uh, the battle that he had hoped and prepared for. Okay. Now, I don't understand how war works even a little bit. So when, So did he, like, sneak up on them? How does a how does any sort of army find another army and it, it engage them without it being like okay first of all you already know that they're coming and if you already know that they're coming why aren't you leaving and I don't understand <laughs> any of it. Uh, they probably some sort of a flanking maneuver. Oh, okay, uh, my guess is 
Wallace Wallace saw they were coming. He arranged his spearmen in four shiltrons. You know what that is? It's yeah. like a, a defensive hedgehog formation with sharp pointy things. Got it. They would get a bunch of their spearsmen and they would surround, essentially circle the wagons, as Americans would say, and with their pointy spears pointing outward, making it a little bit more difficult for a, an army to attack them. Sure. They were like a hedgehog. I love hedgehogs. Unfortunately, the English had Welsh longbowmen, and that swung the strategic advantage in their favor. They were able to stand back and just rain arrows down on them. Right. So the longbows and the archers blew holes in the Scottish defense, and of course, they, the, their cavalry followed up and crushed the remaining resistance. Wallace escaped, but his reputation as a military uh, commander uh, suffered very badly. So he resigned as guardian of Scotland in favor of Robert the Bruce. Now, Wallace's activities after the battle are somewhat vague, but there's some evidence that he left on a mission to court King Philip IV of France to plead his case for assistance. And there is some evidence in letters from King Philip IV that he was trying to build a force of resistance for William Wallace. Oh, okay. Wallace evaded capture by the English king until August of 1305. He was taken to London, taken to Westminster Hall, where he was tried for treason and for atrocities against civilians in war. Quote, sparing neither age nor sex, monk nor nun, he was crowned with uh, like an oak crown that suggested that he was the king of outlaws and guilty of treason. His response was to the treason charge, I could not be a traitor to Edward for I was never his subject. Okay, okay, fair enough. I think it's a little weird to give him a crown. Yeah. Call him like the king of outlaws. That's like giving serial killers cool nicknames. That, you know, maybe it's like the 13th century version of that. Okay. Following the trial on August 23rd, Wallace was taken from the hall to the Towers of London and then executed. Now, how close to reality was Braveheart's depiction of the true events. According to Ranker, they really glossed over his, um, his execution. Wallace's enemies, according to legend, took him from Westminster Hall, where he was tried and found guilty of treason, the punishment for which was drawing. Yeah. As they in, did that in the movie, though, right? In, yeah, yes, they okay. did. As in drawn and quartered. Now, drawing is... You know, they tie you behind a horse and drag you to the gallows. Part of a grisly penalty ordained in England for crimes of treason. The full punishment for a traitor could include several steps. He's drawn, tied to a horse, and dragged to the gallows. Um, not always just on the ground. Oftentimes there would be like a, a sledge or some sort of a board that they would tie him to and they would drag that. But in William Wallace's case, they just tied him to a horse and dragged him through the streets. Got it. While the horses were pulling him by, bystanders threw garbage, oh. excrement, and other objects at Wallace as he was making his journey to the gallows. I think when you throw feces, it says more about you than who <laughs> you're throwing it at. That is an excellent point. I would like that cross-stitched. People also hit him with sticks and whips. Now, in the film, the crowd at the gallows pelted Gibson with rotten food and other other things, mm. but uh, he was wearing clothing, and uh, he was not covered in human excrement. And in reality, he would have been nude and, and pooed? He'd be a nude pooed dude. 
They took him, they, they stripped him naked, dragged him through the streets, threw garbage and poop on him, and then, uh, you know, got, took him to the gallows and strung him up. This is when the quartering happens? Or did they not quarter him? They hung him. Oh. They hung him, but not to death. They just hung him for a little while. A bit. Just a bit. A bit. And then they cut him down. His executioner then sliced off his penis and his testicles. Then the executioner removed his intestines, held them up in front of Wallace, and burned them. Well, I don't think that burning them's really doing much at this point. Were they still connected to him? They were still connected to him. Oh, I see. Yep. I mean, yeah, but they're all... Yeah, yep. I guess. They made sure that he stayed conscious to witness the act. Now, he was disemboweled for sacrilege. That was the penalty for sacrilege. Okay. Being disemboweled. Now, in the movie, Mel Gibson's face is shown contorted in pain. But whatever happens below the waist is not known on film. They tied him down, cut him open. They held up his you know, intestines so he could see and then let, lit them on fire. Uh-huh. I don't know how they did that, if they had some lighter fluid or just a can of gasoline, some oily rags lying about. How do you light intestines on fire in 1305? I don't know. So once that happened, then the executioner cut open his chest and pulled his heart out and showed it to the crowd. And a truly exceptional executioner in those days, you were graded on how good you were by how long you could hold the heart while it was still beating. Wouldn't that be the mark of a truly exceptional heart instead? <laughs> Could be. Mm. So let's recap. Naked, dragged, pooed on, yep. hanged for just a bit, penis and testicles cut off, entrails pulled from his, uh, his abdomen and lit on fire, and then his heart cut out for everybody to see. It's like Brave Sir Robin's Nightmare. But they weren't done yet. Oh. No. Then they cut off his head. Oh, well, he was already dead. Yeah. At that point, yeah. Now, the film didn't show Gibson's heart being ripped out of his chest. It just shows him clutching like a piece of bloody cloth as the axe fell down toward his neck. Yeah. The reason he was beheaded was because he was an outlaw. See, each one of these things, each thing that he was he was found guilty of had its own punishment. <sighs> got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. So after he was beheaded, he was then quartered, all four limbs being tied to separate horses, which then pulls the body apart. I just feel like, what's the point at this point, you know? They're just carrying out the sentence. All right. Yeah. You know, I, I again, you know, it's more, I think, of a, a show of disrespect at this point. It certainly isn't causing him any further pain. So after he was quartered, Wallace's remains were put on display around London as a warning to those who would follow in his footsteps. A piece each was hung at uh, Berwick St. Johnson, Sterling, and Newcastle upon the Tyne uh, in the film. Yeah, but you know, I think it's probably those violent video games that are making kids crazy these days. Yeah, people in history used to see limbs just about their town as a reminder of what their rulers would do to them if they were disrespected in any way, but yeah. it's probably Frogger that did it to these kids. Wallace's head was affixed atop a spike and put on London Bridge for everybody to see after it was dipped in tar. But rather than its intended uh, effect of um, scaring people from revolting, it's clear that Wallace inspired other Scotsmen. There are about 20 monuments to uh, 
Wallace, including one in Sterling near the spot where Wallace claimed victory against the English. So in the film, the crowd, they start shouting mercy after Gibson is hanged and then strapped onto the table and his insides are pulled out. Sure. Remember that? Yep. Um, and in the movie, of course, Gibson refuses to say mercy and says something else. He He's being subjected to this excruciating torture and he uh, yells out freedom prior to his death. Right. That's pretty unlikely. That was just done for the film. Sure. It was more likely that he yelled Ow! Yeah. Well, Wallace endured the humiliation of being paraded around naked, followed by the brutal torture that he encountered. According to historians, he had the courage to accept his punishment with no complaint or resistance. When he reached the gallows, he made his final confessions to a priest. He was given permission to read uh, the Book of Psalms, which he kept on him in, in the battlefield. Uh, but there was really no, you know, yelling freedom or anything like that. He he showed his courage by just accepting wow. what he was about to go through with no complaint. Yeah. That's crazy. I don't think that I would have been able to do that. I mean, like, you suck. I mean, I would have started. my intestines. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would have I st- would have started complaining long before. About the time that, that uh, you know, poo was thrown at me. Right. I get upset if mustard drips out of my hot dog on my pants. Yeah. Um, to be covered in excrement, that would really tip me over the edge. Then you get to the whole part about, you know, burning my, my bowels in front of me. I don't really want to see that. Thank you. I'm good. So William Wallace, there you go. He had a bad day. Any hoozle, uh, we appreciate you hanging out with us as always. Hopefully you can hang out with us. One of our upcoming shows are going to be in Boston this coming Sunday. Charlotte, God. like two days after that. And then uh, Halloween Eve in Nashville. So excited. Tickets on sale, theboxofoddities.com. Please come to the shows. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. Do you need some tea? Yes, please. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts if you like this podcast can we recommend another one it's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The Big Picture Questions and the Most Interesting Research in Science.
Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.